Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, all right, all right. Good morning. Good morning. How's the 9 a.m.? feel like I haven't seen you for a year. We had one Sunday off. Well, I guess two. We had the candlelight on a Saturday. Um, I missed all of you. So good to see all of you. Who are the New Year's resolution people in their house? Raise your hand. It's not a lot of you. And more than half of you will fail at it, but that's statistically. <laughs> but we're rooting you on. I'm a resolution guy. I'm a goal guy, you know. But most of all, I'm a repentance man. Come on now. You don't need to have a resolution, but you need to have repentance in your life. That's my sermon. Okay. Um, I am starting a new series titled, What Jesus Wants. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. Woo, get to know him. It'll change your life. Let's start with some scripture today. Turn your Bibles to John 12. If not, we got it on the screen for you. Here's what it says. Six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from an essence of nard, just give you a heads up, that's like a year's wage. I don't know if that's Bay Area year's wage, but it's a year's wage. Maybe South Dakota year's wage, but it's a year's wage, okay? Um, uh, hello, they don't, not inflation year's wage. Okay, I'm going, I'm keep going. Okay, bro. Uh, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance. Everybody say filled. filled. Every church is filled with some kind of fragrance. Every church has some kind of vibe. You walk into a church and they start singing the song and everybody's staring at the worship pastor. Right there, you can tell the vibe. I'm going to say it. That's a, that's a dead vibe to me. They look bored, drinking their coffee, like, oh, this church got a vibe. They, 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 they the laid-back church. You walk into another church, let's say Mission Church, and we start singing, this is a house of miracles. People start clapping and worshiping. You're like, ooh, they, they love Jesus. Something about a vibe. Something about walking up and people just being kind. That's a vibe. And so when you start to pour out your life, you need to know something. There's a fragrance, and it's going to fill something up. Let's pour out the right things, Yes? That's not in my message. That's for free. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Stop. It's a really sad moment. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, who never became a great disciple, because instead of always asking Jesus what he wanted, he was always telling Jesus what he wanted instead. This year, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, 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 just maybe, 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 maybe you ask God what he wants instead of telling him what you want. Just maybe, maybe, maybe. Turn to your neighbor and say, maybe. Time of messages, maybe. No, it's not. Okay. Um, Time my message today is what Jesus wants, worship. Now, uh, picture this with me real quick. Imagine going to a nice dinner this week. Let's say Wednesday night. Go out to a nice dinner. You walk up to um, the, um, you know, the greeter. They sit you down, and you order your meal, and I'll just play it as if it was myself. Imagine me sitting there at a restaurant and me ordering the ribeye, baked potato loaded, come on now, asparagus, and let's add some sweet potato casserole, okay? I'm hungry, okay? So I order that. And so after I order this, just imagine this, I'm sitting there and the server comes back and puts in front of me a burrito, a hummus, some pita, and a Mountain Dew. And I look at the waiter and I say, I didn't order this. And the waiter goes, I know, I know you didn't order it, but I just, as I was walking back, I just had this feeling, you're more of a burrito guy than a ribeye guy. 
you look like a hummus and pita chips guy. And so instead of what you told me, I just felt like this is what you would want. And so I just kind of just from the cuff prepared you something else. Here you go. Would we agree that's a terrible restaurant? Would you go back to that restaurant? No, you'd be like, they, they, they don't get it. Let's, let's, let's take it up a notch. Imagine you're married um, and you have a spouse and your spouse tells you, hey, it's really important to me that when you walk in the room, you come home all the time and you're so busy all the time, you don't say hi, you don't, you don't say hello, you just go straight to your next thing, you're on the phone, like I don't even know you're home sometimes. From here out, could you just say hi to me and give me a hug? That's the one thing I want in our marriage, just, just say hi to me when you come home and be happy to see me and give me a big old hug. And so for a few days, you, your, your spouse shares their need. And, and so like the first three days, you're like, oh, hey, hug. But by day four, day five, you're like, you know, you're on the phone again. Warriors are about to play. You know, you got a golf tee time. You got to change and get out of the house real quick. And so another week goes by and no more highs, no more hugs. And your wife goes, I'm, I'm just so frustrated. Like, why? I told you I wanted a hug and I wanted you to tell me hi when you came home and you didn't do it for a week. Oh, you meant like you want me to do that all the time? Like, I thought you just want like once in a while. Would you agree that's going to be a bad marriage? Yes. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, can I tell on myself? Year two of our marriage. Rachel would have these things where we call them adventure days, where we would go do things I would not want to do. It'd be like going to see like a play. It'd be go walking through like flowers. Um, just things that I, like 0% of what I want to do. And sometimes just go shopping or whatever. And when we would go, I was what she called 10,000 pound Tyler. And so we would go and I would just be like this all the time. Like, let's go walk over here, Tyler. And I would walk over here. She's like, isn't that beautiful? Yes, it's beautiful. And then the next thing, I just, I just wanted it to be over. And then once we were done, like, okay, I did it. You're welcome. I'm a great husband. And she'd say, Tyler, you're not a great husband. Today was terrible. And I was like, what? How could today be terrible? We went shopping the where you want to shop. We went to the flower field where you want to go to the flower field. And I just did everything. She's like, but you did it with a terrible attitude. I'm, you know, remember, she's like, I remember her describing this to me. You know those kids that when you try to pick them up and they just go like weak and they like, they won't let you pick them up. And they're just like, oh, don't pick me up. And she's like, that's what you're like right now. You're my 10,000 pound Tyler. I'm carrying you everywhere. And she goes, please, when we go on these activities, will you please have a good attitude and at least fake that you like it? She's like, this would, this would love on me. So the next time we went, we went to this flower place and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Come on, come on. Pick them up. I got you something. I'm, I mean, I, I doubled down on the role. You know what I'm saying? The Academy Award goes to Tyler Johnson. You know, um, I was committed. And from here out, when Rachel wants to do something, I'm all in. She wants to do something I don't want to do. Like I just, it's one of her heart's desires. And if I want to have a great marriage, if I, I need to find out what my wife wants. And it's amazing to me that when we talk about, well, would you ever go to a restaurant when you order something, they bring you that you, what well, you don't order? You wouldn't, yes? It's hard for a marriage to last when you keep on communicating your needs to a person and they keep ignoring them. Let's, 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 let's make this about the message now, ready? Imagine the creator of the universe comes to earth fully man, fully God, and he shares his heart's desire with us, shares his wants, shares what he wants for us and he wants from us. And we're like, eh, it's kind of suggestion. You don't mean all the time, right? You can be my Sunday God, but not my Monday through Saturday God. I'll say hi to you once a week, but six days a week? What? It's not going to be a good relationship. 
I know, I know you ordered this. I know that you, you want to order my steps. I know you said to go this way. But I was feeling like the more I process, if you actually lived in our culture, you know that you'd actually want me to do this instead, God. Oh, we've missed it. Let me read you a, a verse. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this word disciple, so the, the role of the church is to make disciples, not people who attend church, not people that just even go to a small group here and there, people who actually are committed to the community of God, becoming a people of God, and building the kingdom of God. So, so we're supposed to do that at this church. So what does it mean to make a disciple? Here's what a disciple is. I mean, let me make it the most simple uh, um, definition. A disciple finds out what Jesus wants and then does it. And my role as your pastor is for you to find out what Jesus wants and then to tell you, hey, this would be the best decision in your life and you should do it. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you obey my commandments. This is the will that God has for you. Find out what Jesus wants. That's why the series is called What Jesus Wants. And then I want to read you something. Don't ever glorify the early church. Oh, the early church was amazing. No, they were terrible too. We just don't have social media uh, back then. You read the church of Corinth. They were a terrible church. The Bible even says that when people would go to the church of Corinth, they would become worse than they were before. Okay? They had son-in-laws marrying, uh, stealing their father's wives in this church. They turned the communion parties into sleeping around and getting drunk parties. There were bad churches in the early Bible times. Okay? Don't glorify the early church. This isn't an American church problem. This is a human problem. Let me read it to you in Titus 1.16. This is what it said about the early church, some of the people. They claim to know God, but their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, bringing me a burrito when I ordered a ribeye. Disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. The church will do no good if we don't do what Jesus wants. Are you ready for the message? Bow your heads. Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you. God, as we, we search your scripture and we search your heart, Lord, may we understand what you want, what you want for us and what you want from us. Oh, Lord, may we become the church that you um, declared to Peter, that it would be a church that the gates of hell could not stand against, that it would be a church that would restore and build people. Lord, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? So three wants from Jesus, and we're going to talk about worship today. Um, here's the first one. You ready? Jesus wants us to know worship is important to him and good for us. Let's look at some scripture. Let's learn from the, the, holy, the holy gospels. Um, John 4, uh, 21 through 24. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. Everybody say now. It's here now. Come on now, Bay Area. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking. He wants them. He's looking for them. He's looking for those who will worship him that way. Not any way. He's not asking for just any kind of worship. He's asking for a certain type of worship. I just nailed my spit. (laughs) Time out. (laughs) Never done that on a Sunday. I do it all the time throughout the week. All right. Uh, that's come against the enemy. I was, I was preaching. Okay. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship, must, not maybe, not a suggestion, must worship him in spirit and in truth. That word worship comes from the Greek word proskenio, proskenio. Now our word worship that we say comes from the old English word meaning ascribing worth to something. 
It's giving a weight to something. You're making a, a weighty thing. So I wrote down just a quick little uh, definition of prosciano. Prosciano gives a picture depicting a physical response to a weighty moment or a thankful moment or a weighty person. So that's what proskenal represents in the Greek. That's, it's trying to show you a picture. Now, the most common form the, that proskenal would be, it would be like um, somebody who walks in the room that is a superior. It would be like, I'll give you a couple examples to really make sure that you really are tracking what proskenal represents and what Jesus is trying to look for, this type of worship. It would be like if you have a boss and your feet are up on the table and you're just chilling. And then your boss walks in and you're like, <laughs> you're like your whole posture changes because somebody walked in the room. Like, they, like they, he's, he's saying, I'm looking for people that when they realize I'm in the room, they change even physically on how they're standing. They change with their posture. Like, oh, Jesus is here? I'm, I'm ready. What, what, what are we doing? Instead of this lasic day, they say, well, meh, whatever. So that, that's actually one of the pictures that, and one of the most common forms that Prosk and I would show. And that's, what, that's the word Jesus decided to use for worship. Another one would be like a, a dog running up to its master to kiss their hand or just to jump up and kiss, kiss him. This is the other common term in the prosthenos. And this is the word that Jesus decided to use to describe heavenly worship for us. So who here has a dog? Come on, there's a lot of dog people in the house. All right, I like that. I like, who here has a cat? I don't get it. Okay, I don't get cat people. I don't get it. I don't get it. Right here in scripture, it proves that God is a dog person, not a cat person. He doesn't say, hey, people are going to worship like a cat. He says they're going to worship like a dog. And what I mean by that is if you've ever walked home and opened the door of your house and walked in, this is what a cat usually does. <laughs> Let me know when my food's ready. I'm going to go over here and just stare at you. Call my name. I dare you. Call me. Try it. Calls the name. Not today. By the way, I peed upstairs or so whatever. Okay. That's what a cat does when you walk in the house, okay? That's what a cat does. But what a dog does is when you walk in the house, is like, oh my gosh, you're home. Runs up, kisses you. Like there's just something the way God wired. I'm wondering if God wired dogs this way just so we could understand worship better. When he was designing the heavens and the earth and every single animal, he's like, I want one animal to be able to use an illustration to show them what worship's supposed to be. I want them to show how excited I want them to see me. So God says, when you realize I'm in the room, you don't walk around, first song, solid. Second song, solid. Hey, third one, I dare you to tell me to raise my hands. I dare you. Not going to happen. Like, this is what happens. Some of you worship like a cat. And God never called you to worship like a cat. Come on, amen. Okay. God called you to worship with a response to who's in the room. The dog knows you feed me, you love me, my whole well-being is because of you. And God is saying, hey, you're going to worship me different when you understand your well-being, your whole being of who you are, how you're going to be taken care of. You would worship me differently. You would, you would show up differently. You would have different expectations. There'd be different joy in your heart if you actually understood the weight of who I am. He says, I'm looking for those kind of worshipers. Let's keep going. So that's what he wants from us. Now, what does he want for us? Why does he want us to worship? There, there's, there's a benefit in it. It's not why we worship, but there is, we got to see the benefit of it. I want to read you Romans 1, 21 through 23. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him a thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. You need to know something. You were built to worship. You're going to worship something. 
It's that simple. And here's the deal. When our worship is off, society's off. That's what it says. It says it's because their worship was off, society went wrong. Worship wrong, society wrong. Let me, let, now, let's make it a little closer. When your home worship is off, your home is off. And, and, and what does that look like? Um, when you actually, this is like, this is what, Rachel and I have been married 11 years uh, this April. And we don't have a great marriage because Rachel's amazing and I'm amazing. I think we have a great marriage because we both worship God really well. We both be, are becoming more like God every year. I, when Rachel mar- uh, married me 11 years ago, I was under construction even more than I am today. And it's amazing when you have a spouse to start to worship God and fall in love with God, you benefit from it. They, they love better. They serve better. They're more forgiving. They're more gracious because they're becoming more like Jesus. But what happens if their worship's off? What happens if your husband worships a sport or a hobby more than God? We worship because a sacrifice has already been paid. Got paid on the cross. But when you have a worship outside of, outside of Jesus, there has to be a new sacrifice for you to worship. And so for you to go worship a hobby, for you to go worship a sport, guess who suffers? The home suffers. I got a new hobby. I got a new sport, and I love it so much. Because my, my mentor always told me this. You worship what you become. You're like, like, you'll become what you worship. Like, like, this is just the reality of it. You, you become a sports nut. You start dressing like one, talking like one. You know all the verbiage of it. You know your sports team better than you know your spouse. You know, you know their injuries on their teams more than you know your spouse's wounds. Uh, when you have a hobby and you start worshiping a hobby and it becomes this thing where you're just obsessed with it and your, your calendar schedules around it and you're prioritizing it and you're wondering why your hobby's getting better but your spouse is suffering or your kids are suffering because you've worshiped the wrong thing. When your home worship is off, your house is going to be off. Did I touch a nerve a little bit? I'm glad I did. I'm going to save some marriages this year in the name of Jesus. We're going to save some homes this year because some of you are bad worshipers right now. And I would be a terrible shepherd to allow you to keep worshiping things of this world instead of the God who created you that would change your life and fulfill your life. I would, I would submit to you that if you have a worry problem, you have a worship problem. Because worry really comes from what you wait the most in your life. But when you put God at the center, it starts to change your worry to worship. Maybe, just maybe, you need to learn how to worship. Do you want me to teach you that today? Anybody want to learn how to worship? Okay, it's kind of quiet because it's kind of awkward. If you, were, if you were with your spouse and you nudged them, don't do that. That's not cool. No more golf for the rest of your life. <sighs> you know, if you worship a career, you know, I mean, I could give it on, you know what I mean? But don't nudge. I mean, something I, I got I to I got, I got give some context here because sometimes we leave and then, you know, I'll have coffees with guys and like, Ty, you preached this message. And then my wife was like, Pastor Tyler said, you know, and then I'm like, I'm like, that's my bad. That's my bad. That's my bad. So, so let me just give you some preface real quick. When you are sharing your need with a person that is important to you, a spouse or a friend, Rachel and I know that with great power comes great responsibility. Rachel doesn't share, like, I need you to do this. I, you know what, Tyler? It's really important to me that you sit down every day and watch a Hallmark movie with me. She doesn't watch Hallmark movies, but, like, she wouldn't, like, pull that card on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it was everything. Like, I, you know, I really appreciate it when we sat down that if, when you eat, I could just sing over you the whole time. Like, she's not, like, being a weirdo about it, okay? It's her deepest needs. She's not trying to make me a new person. Like, you know, like, I want you to become a girl with me. And like, ah, da, da, da. No, she, like, she didn't allow me to be my man self still. You know what I'm saying? Watch the Warriors. Watch the St. Mary Gales. Come on now, 14 and 4. Let's go. Uh, 
I'm a big fan. Shout out. Okay, here we go. Um, she's not going to troll me. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so will that well. Okay, here we go. Okay, so how do we worship God? Um, it's interesting to me uh, that there's so much confusion on this in the church today. And I have to own some of that even as me being a pastor. Because we teach on worship and we worship, but then we ask people like, what is worship or how you should worship? There's a thousand different answers out there, but the Bible actually gives you a pretty clear picture of what worship should look like here on earth. It's going to look a lot like what is happening in heaven right now, okay? So I just want, can I read you a quote real quick from Queen Victoria? Would I begin to weep, to laugh, to throw my hands above my head and dance? Said the Queen of England, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come during my lifetime. With deep emotion, the Queen of England replied, because I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. Oh, I'm be honest, I'm coming for your crowns today. I'm coming for them. You're going to lay them down today. I want to share some crowns that you wear, uh, and this is just, I pastored almost for 20 years now. I've been in church since I was 16, so 24 years. I've seen a lot of people have different crowns in church, and their crowns are holding them back from actually bowing to the one that actually is wearing the crown of crowns, okay? So here's the first one. Your preference crown. I'm coming for it. Here's what the preference crown is. I'm going to go to a church that I like their worship. How, um, how about you go to a church where Jesus likes their worship instead, is what I wrote. Um, and here's what I wrote. I bow when I like the music or I like the song. So your, your, your preference crown is, I'm going to bow, I'm going to worship when I like this style of music and the song that you choose. That is not why we worship. That's not how we're supposed to worship, okay? Let me give another crown that you, some of you have. This one's very, uh, your personality crown. Uh, it's not my personality to shout or to raise my hands or get emotional. Basically, this person, the personality crown is like, I bow to no one, by the way. It's not, nothing against Jesus, but I don't raise my hands for nobody. Okay, this is just what I do. This is who I am. I'm sorry. I, just, I don't raise my hands. I don't really get super excited about anything. I'm sorry. I, you don't know who I am, but I bow to no one. You're not saying it that way, but that's what you're saying to Jesus. Not my personality to bow to you, even Jesus. I'll come to worship. I'll come and praise, but I'm just going to stand and look. It's not my personality. Oof. And I've shared this illustration, but I just feel like there's a lot of new people in the house. I guarantee you there's somewhere you're going to respond. I guarantee you somewhere in your personality of what you really waited, you'll respond at. I've talked about, you know, show me a dad in a delivery room when the kid's birthed and the dad's like, it's just not my personality, whatever. <laughs> Send the baby to the nursery. Congrats, you know, I'll talk to him in a little bit. No, you'll respond because you're wait on that moment. You're going to have some proskenial happening. The person that, you know, I've shared like at a sporting event, like when your team wins, you go nuts. You, 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 have, your, you have your moments. You just haven't waited Jesus in the right spot yet. And so, so you have a personality crown. You need to put that down today. Another crown that I'm coming after today is your busy crown. Doing is more important than bowing for you. It's just, and you, you see this with Mary and Martha. Martha's complaining, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm doing it. She's like, no, the one thing is her bowing at my feet. You've missed it. She hasn't missed it. Start bowing more and stop doing less, okay? Another one is your judgmental crown. I was, hey, this was one of my crowns I used to have. Ready? I judge people who love to bow to Jesus. Instead of worshiping Jesus during uh, worship, you judge people. Like, like you just walk, that person raises their hand way too much. They can't be that happy. Oh my gosh, here they go, they're about to bow. Oh, look at them, they, they even moved a little bit, you know, like, like, oh my gosh. And I used to do that, I'm like, faker, faker, that's weird. Like, I used to judge people during worship. Because I never raised, I, I went to a Pentecost, my first church was a very Pentecostal church, so I mean, it was like very vibrant. And so I was like, oh, there's no way. These people are so weird. And so like, there'd be like, I'd have like three least favorite. I had a gal who would lead worship. 
And I could not sing in worship because the way she worshiped, I thought was just too exuberant. So I was just judging her during worship. Like she, she would come to the edge. She'd be like, I'm like, you're going to fall over, lady. Stop it. You know what I'm saying? But like, like I, I was that guy, okay? Some of you in the house have a judgmental crown. You need to lay it down. I've laid mine down. And now I said, hey, judge me as much as you want. I'm going to worship God. Okay, here we go. Um, so that's a judgmental crown. Another one is your Sunday crown. And I, I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. He doesn't want to be your Sunday God. Because here's what your Sunday crown is. I bounce Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, I do whatever I want to do. You know, every day we need to bow down to Jesus. I mean, let, let's keep going. Uh, your, feeling, uh, your feelings crown. This is an interesting one. And this is one that like, I think doesn't get talked about enough. I bow when I feel it. Worship is emotionally driven for me. I seek feelings, not Jesus. I bow to my feelings. Oh, I'm going to raise my hands when I start to feel it. Oh, I'm going to start shouting when I start to feel it. When, when you get the song and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I got the goosebumps. Okay, I'm ready. Then I'm going to do it. That is a feelings crown. That is, that is an emotional crown. I'm going to lift my hands if I don't feel it because I know it pleases God. I'm going to shout to God, not when I feel like it, but because I know it pleases God. It's amazing how many of us are driven by emotions during worship instead of actually what the word says. And then your convenience crown. I come to church when I can. I bow to Jesus when it fits my schedule. And what really that means is I bow to my schedule or I bow to my comfort. It's amazing to me how hard it is to prioritize God in today's culture. And the reality is, is because you can't wear two crowns at one time. You just can't. You, you, can't, you can't bow two crowns at one time. It's one crown, so you have to decide, am I going to bow to the one that is the king of kings, Lord of lords, or bow to the other things? So, so that, that's what we're dealing with. I, I wrote this down. When we make worship about us, we make it very human. But when we make worship about Jesus, we make it like heaven. Um, yeah, I'm going to say it. I said it in pre-service prayer. I was being, I want to say it uh, in service, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the most honest I can be with you about what I've been journeying with worship and with our church. So when I grew up, I didn't go to church, and I started going to church, and you just see things, you just think it's normal. So I remember visiting my buddy, I'm like 19 years old, uh, visiting my buddy down at Pepperdine, and we drive to this really big church in SoCal in Orange County, it's 10,000 plus, and we show up on campus, and at the campus sign, I see contemporary worship to the right, traditional worship to the left, jazz worship straight ahead, and I was like, where do I go? Like, I thought, I thought we only had one, like, I went to a church about 300 at this moment, and so I was like, uh, we, only have one, we only have one band. We don't have a jazz band, a, a modern band. Like, I was like, which one I pick? And I, so I, I started talking to the, the greeter. I was like, where do I go? They're like, well, what kind of music you listen to? I was like, uh, you're going to want to go to contemporary. So I remember, like, we went to contemporary, and actually the Backstreet Boy, Brian, his name is, was leading worship that day at that church. Um, yeah, 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 serious. You are my fire, my one. He didn't do that song, but I wanted him to. I wanted him to. I was like, just bust it out as like a tag. Like, make it to him, Brian. Just do it. Desire. Okay, so anyways, so, so I go to that. Anyways, sorry. Auditions for the worship team right there. Maybe I got on the team. We'll see what happens. Um, let's pull it back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's pull it back. So, so then I started driving around, and I started noticing at different churches, the 9 a.m. service is the traditional. 11 a.m. is going to be contemporary. And I started thinking to myself, started reading the Bible even a little bit more. I started trying to look at, Lord, is there going to be different worship services in heaven? Presbyterians meet at 9, Baptists at 10, Pentecostals at 11. Like, like what is, it, is that literally what's happening? No, I'm going to submit to you what's happened here on earth. We have placated worship to human personality instead of what Jesus actually desires. So if your personality is more traditional, come over here. Well, if your personality is more contemporary, no, what does Jesus want? 
I don't think there should be five different types of worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you uh, can't have a, just a acoustically in worship. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the spirit in which you birth things. The spirit on why you're birthing a service with worship. You know, everybody said they didn't. Not everybody likes that we just added the drums. Well, if they don't like it, we should make, placate to them. Because the Bible shows it in one of the uh, Greek words, that, uh, Hebrew words, that Jesus actually loves when we hit the drums. Hmm. Well, Jesus loves it, but they don't love it. Let's add an 11 a.m. The spirit of our house will always be when we're birthing anything and we're, when we're worshiping is, does this please Jesus? Not does it please you, but does it please Jesus? But here's what happens when we please Jesus. You're going to come to our church and you're going to decide this is going to be your house and you're not going to really be able to say exactly why. You're not going to walk in here with a checklist of going, okay, uh, convenience factor of location, check. Um, uh, bathrooms are amazing, check. Because that hey, bathrooms are terrible, Okay. Somebody buy us a building with more bathrooms than what we have, okay? Anyways, uh, you know, some of you, I, I know some people that drive from Half Moon Bay to our church. Like, but that, so it's not the convenient location. What happens is you're not picking it because you're flesh, check, check, check. Even though there are some practicals that always play into a little bit. But you walk in and your spirit, for some reason, says, something's here. Something's aligned correctly. God's spirit is in the house. And your spirit goes, I want to be here. I want to plant my roots here. That's what happens when you have a house of worship. It just speaks to people. They walk in. The, 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 the thing they say is there, there was a vibe. There's something in the room. Oh, it's Jesus. Instead of preference in the room, Jesus was in the room. Yeah. So that, that's what happens. So, so let's look at how we can worship Jesus. And, and, and coming after the crown, the way you do is you replace it with something else. So there is um, this amazing book. I think it's called The Hallelujah Factor. It's one of my favorite books. And if you notice anything, if you've been here for all four years, once a year, I teach on worship. So this was about 14 months ago I taught on what's the big deal worship. Different message, of course, but something that I want to do, make sure I do at least once every 12 months. I might even do once every six months because it's, the reality is vision leaks. We're forgetful people. And the importance of worship to Jesus is not something we should talk about once a year. We should be talking about it all the time. It's such an important thing to him and it's so good for our soul. And so I love these seven Hebrew words um, that I found a few years ago. And I want to share them with you. Uh, and this is going, I want you to hear this quick. Take every idea of what you think worship is and how you're supposed to praise God on a Sunday and just throw it out, okay? And allow God's scripture to maybe challenge you on what it's supposed to look like. Are you ready? So the first one that the Bible shows us is this um, Hebrew word called yada. Now, when you read the Old Testament and you read about praise and worship, you're just going to see one English word, praise. But it actually represents seven different Hebrew words uh, that actually depict a different picture of what praise looks like. So let me read you a verse real quick. Psalm 138.1. I will praise you, Lord, Lord, with all my heart before the gods. I will sing your praise. So yada is used 90 times. So this type of praise is used 90 times is to acknowledge God in public, to lift your hands, to wave to somebody. So what this type of praise looks like that God says, and again, over 300 times in the Old Testament, it mandates praise to God. 300. So I think he wants it. So, so what it will look like is what God is trying to show is that when you realize he's there or you realize that you actually want to encounter with him or engage with him, you don't come with the posture of my wife walks in the room and I'm going to group people and I see her and she walks in right through that door and I just go like this. That bothered a little bit. Sorry, maybe Gary's huh? But what if she walked in and I was like, Rachel, I'm over here. Come over. I literally Rachel, I, I can't wait to see you. I'm over here. Come over here. And what Yada is representing 
is that when you understand your life is supposed to be worshipful every day, is that you literally, you should be praying with your hands raised at home also. You raise God, I'm right here. These hands are yours. This life is yours. I can't wait to see what you have for me today. When you wake up, you should have some yada praise on your lips. God, it's me again. Hey, what's up? Do you see me? Oh, I see. I, I want to seek your kingdom today. God, I want to see your face today. I praise you today. That's the type of worship God wants in the Bible. So that's just one word, okay? So that's yada. Second one is Barak. For the record, I'm not pronouncing any of these words correctly. I don't speak Hebrew, okay? I'm just going straight phonetically for you, okay? Okay, Barak. 70 times in the Bible, and here's a verse uh, that uses the word Barak. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. This is to bless by kneeling or bowing or pointing to give credit. It's a type of praise to give credit. Uh, in Psalm 72, Solomon uses it after he builds the temple. He goes, I praise God because I didn't build this temple. God built this temple. Another one is when um, in Judges 5, the song of Deborah celebrating victory. When they defeated the enemy, they used this type of praise to say, we did not defeat the enemy. Jesus defeated the enemy. And so when you're praising God, another thing that happens is the reason why I'm bowing to God this Sunday, the reason why I'm raising my hands is because there's still breath in my lungs. I, I, I don't know if you knew this, but I got a promotion this week, and I know I didn't make the promotion. He gave it. I need to give him some praise real quick. And so there's a type of praise that when something good happens in your life, when success happens, you give it right back to him, and you bow to him. Success staying in your soul is very toxic. Giving it to the Lord is the best thing you can do. All glory to God. Worship really is about God's glory and our goodness. And so you, you, you give all glory to him. So, so the next time you're worshiping, think about just one thing you can celebrate. I say, God, I'm going to raise my hands and just celebrate and point to you and say, you are good. And so that, that, that's, uh, that's the Hebrew word yada. Next one is zamar, 40 times. This is making music to God with strings and instruments. Let's read Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the 10-string lyre and the melody of the harp. So, First thing I think about this is this is means our God is cool. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have chose a thousand different ways that we want to praise him. He's like, no, I want you to jam out. All right. And it's not like a harp, like da, 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 da. Like you actually study it. It's like, I want you to slap the bass. I want you to hit the drums. I want you to play those keys. Like you never played those keys before. It's coming with the posture of, if I could give a picture, it'd be like if, and this is just one that we could all understand. If you were a guy and you were a single dude and there was a girl in the house and you want to impress her, and so you are just like, she's like, does she see me yet? She sees me now. Like, I mean, you were going off on that guitar, okay? Or like if you're on the keys and you're like, you want to sing and you sing a note like you never, you are trying to impress one person in the room and get their attention. And what it's saying is, I'm going to play instruments to get one person's attention. And I'm going to play in a way that is so impressive. Like, do, do you see me yet? I'm playing for you and you alone. Oh, do you hear it? Oh, I'm, I, I practiced all week for this moment. I'm giving it everything I got. I'm not just coming in. This, I, I want to give it all of my soul and being. That's what that word means. So when we are here on a Sunday and we're being led, oh, may we all go. We're trying to get one person's attention. Yeah. And his name is Jesus. Next one is Shabbat. This one uh, is seven times. It's to dress in a loud tone to shout. Let me read it to you. Psalm 63, two through five. I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Woo. So what does that look like today? Like, it's funny. I, I see more Shabbat in our culture than any other praise probably because it's like a battle cry thing. Like, it would be like at the Niners game this last Sunday. Did you hear uh, the last Niners home game was this? You heard them screaming, Purdy, 
Purdy. Do you guys remember that? Anybody any know Warrior fans? Okay, yes. Um, uh, you go to Warriors game, it's just, Warriors. Warriors, like it's, it's, it's a screaming. Another one would be when Steph is on the free throw line. Here, you'll hear this at a Warriors game. MVP, MVP. They're doing Zamar type praise. They are singling out one thing. Be, so what would it look like for us? It would be like saying like, G, like screaming out the name of Jesus. It would be like a battle thing like where like um, the, the general would lift up his sword and go, ah, and then all of you would go, ah. And that type of worship is like screaming at the gates of hell. My God screamed victory, so now I scream victory. My God screamed wholeness, so now I scream wholeness. Uh, I, I look at this world, and there's only one name that I scream above all names. There's only one MVP that I shout. It's like a whole stadium shouting one name saying, he's the MVP. Over and over again, it's, it's that kind of loud shout. And so in, in, in praise and worship, if you want to give a big shout once in a while, give a big shout once in a while. When, when we shout, uh, you ever have those songs in worship? You always wonder like, why they have them like, whoa, you know the songs? Yes? Did I, did I nail it? I nailed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. They didn't put those, those people who wrote the worst song didn't put those in just because. They were putting in Shabbat. Let's shout. Shout at the gates of hell. Let's shout victory. Let's let our lungs boast real quick that there is a real MVP and his name is Jesus. And then there's Tauda. I like to call it ta-da. Um, so it's not though, because it is to lift hands. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's just call it Tada. Okay, Tada. Um, to lift hands and surrender and thankfulness. Um, Psalm 50, 23. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. When you raise your hands, it brings attention to me, not, your, uh, not yourself. That's the little thought I wrote on there. Sorry for that. And to him who orders his conduct is right, I will show the salvation of God. You will see the word, uh, you'll see this word connected to Jonah. So, so the first Psalm talks about praise, but I want to read you Jonah. He's, this is his salvation moment. Uh, in uh, um, the book of Jonah, in Jonah 2, it's where the whale spits him out, and um, theologians point to this moment where he realizes, man, I was running from God. God snatched me up still. And as he, as he, as he wrapped his arms around me, that's what the represent, represents, I understood that this is the only way I could live and the only one I could live for. And here's how he says it. This is him shouting with praise. But, I will, uh, but with shouts of pra- grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I'll make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Just something about this type of hand raising on a Sunday and throughout the week. It's simply saying, I know who saved me and I will say to the world and to myself and to you, Lord, for the rest of my life, I'll give you grateful praise because salvation has come to my house. You've saved my soul. You've saved my life. And because of that, I'm gonna, it literally says, this represents raising hands. Not just saying it. That's a different type. It's, I'm going to raise my hands to represent what you saved, and it's me. I love you, Jesus. And the last one is Tehihala. 50 times. I try my best, okay? Exuberant singing. I will extol the Lord at all times. Everybody say all times. All times. His praise will be always on my lips. I read you the first story for a reason. It's this moment where this lady's pouring out perfume a year's wage and people are critiquing it. And Paul uses this verbiage throughout his life about pouring his life out as he was a perfume offering to the Lord. And he says, I want to read you a couple of verses. As for me and my life has already been poured out as an offering to God, the time of my death is near. So he's saying, when I look back at my life, it was poured out as an offering to God. 
Let me read you another one, Philippians 2.17. But I'll rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And, uh, and I want all of you to share that joy, just like your service is an offering to God. So, so let's look at this quick. This word, this last one, Tehillah, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, it shows this picture of all the time worship of pouring out your life. So this would be the Monday through Sunday, God, not just Sunday, God, of today, Lord, I'm going to pour my life out and may it fill the room up with a fragrance. It says when you do your faithful service, so you're going to need to be faithful to someone. Faithful to your home, faithful to your spouse, faithful to your job, faithful to, of course, the kingdom, faithful to the Lord. And when you're actually faithful to the right things, it says when you pour your life out the right things, it's going to fill a fragrance in your home and in your workplace. And it says, when do you do that? At all times, this type of praise. This is not a one-time thing. It's not a Sunday three songs thing. It is how you live your life type of thing. Now, I want to read you one more uh, verse, and then we're going to actually finish with one worship song. I feel like it would be appropriate to finish with a worship song today because we talked about worship. And it's in Luke 10, 38, 42. It's another one of those where somebody's at Jesus' feet. And I just, I, I feel like if you could just ask yourself, am I Martha in this story or am I Mary in this story? And let's, let's just read and we'll, we'll, we'll close. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him in her, her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening uh, to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing. Everybody say one thing. thing. Worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Stop. There's just something about when you realize how worship affects everything. Everything. Worship affects the spirit on how you actually clean up your house. Worship affects the way that you'll serve your spouse. Worship will affect the way that you build your career. Worship will affect your schedule. Like he's saying, like, the one thing that actually, if you focused on it, it would affect everything. And it's worshiping me more than anything else and only. God doesn't care if you value things. He cares if you value things above him. And so when we decide to worship anything else, it just, like Martha, like, well, this is the most important thing. Like, no, 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 no. The most important thing, Mary has it, and you need to learn it. It's putting me first. It's worshiping me. And so what I would love to do today is I would love for us to finish with worship. And I've never and never will be the pastor that bends somebody's arm to make them do something. That's not worship. That's not you becoming a disciple. Everybody in this house is on a journey with the Lord right now. Some of you maybe never even opened your mouth to sing to God. And today will be that day. Some of you have never raised your hands to God, and today will be that day. You're not going to do it because you feel like it even. You're going to do it because you found out it pleases God. And I'm believing that as this year goes on, our church, we have a dream for Mission Church, that it would be throne room type of worship. Throne room, where, where heaven meets earth, where people walk in and go, what's going on in here? And they just can't help but notice that there is a God that died for them, that conquered the grave, and he's worthy of everyone's worship. Will you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. I don't know if you ever said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, but if you want to say yes to salvation today, you want to say yes to salvation, I'm going to ask you just real quick with, I got another question. If you want to say yes to Jesus, but also if you've been a sleepy Christian, 
you just been, you just got lost this last season. You haven't been living for God. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Say, God, I'm, I'm a sleepy Christian. I woke up today. I realize I've been worshiping the wrong things. If you're a sleepy Christian and you woke up today, you just feel this urge in your heart. I want to live for God. I'm not going to bow to my schedule anymore. I'm not going to bow to the things of this world. I'm going to bow to my God. So two questions, one, one response. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to respond to what God in your heart today, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. It's a great decision. That's a great decision. God's doing work in people's hearts. That's a great thing. We don't have a condemner. We have a person who sets us free. Oh, God bless you. Hands all over the place. Oh, God, we love you. God, I pray that you would be with Mission Church this year. Lord, would we seek your face? Would we seek your will? Would we understand what you want? God, would we stop coming with ideas and just start listening more? Oh, God, we love you so much. You're so worthy of our worship. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.